Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Glad Tidings, the Athletics Everton podcast. Greg O'Keefe and as ever Paddy Boyland and this week we are discussing what might have been tales of unfulfilled potential at Goodison Park. Um, players who for whatever reason just didn't quite live up to the billing. Um, we, we asked you on Twitter earlier for your suggestions and they've been coming in thick and fast. Um, first things first, good afternoon Paddy, are you well? Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. Thanks, mate. I'm really looking forward to discuss, discussing this, actually. And I, looking at all the responses as they, as they came into your tweet, the, fir- the first thing that occurred to me is we could actually be here all day t- talking about <laughs> unfulfilled talent at Everton because <laughs> there's a there's a long, long list and we're almost going to have to condense them and talk about kind of the ones that are, are kind of clearest <laughs> in our minds. Like I, I, Before recording, I, I messaged my dad and I said to my dad, look, have you got any ideas? And he comes back with like a, a whole sheet of them, Slavin Bilic and Billy Kenny and all these kind of guys. Some of them before my time, some not. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. It, it feels like it could be a good show. Yeah, I don't think Adonis would be too thrilled, but we could easily just read out everyone's tweets. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it sounds interesting to me because some of the responses have actually been quite funny. And there's also there's a there's a picture of a young Greg O'Keefe as well in response to um to, to your tweet, isn't there? On Goodison, so I think I think the, the, we both know the person that that sent it in, another athletic um, journalist. And I wonder if the the, the thought process behind that was the both of yourselves were kind of unfulfilled talents when it came to playing at Goodison and with Everton. Paddy, you see me play football. There's nothing unfulfilled <laughs> about my talent. I squeezed every last drop out of my limited ability and that was probably the pinnacle playing on Goodison Park, albeit in the summer. Right, let's crack on and uh, and talk about actual footballers who didn't fulfil the potential at Everton. Um, because as Paddy said, there are a lot. So forgive us if we don't get to the player that you tweeted Um we will try and kind of mention all of them, if not focus on every single one individually. I'll start the ball rolling for, the, for this one, Pad. One of the initial tweets, um, let's do them as a, a pair in a way, because they're a kind of similar era. But James Vaughan and Jack Rodwell, and I suppose we should start with Vaughan, because I think, you know, Rodwell, arguably, yeah, you're right, he was on full full potential, but he did play a lot of games, and James Vaughan, not as many. He's someone we've discussed before, haven't we, when we talk about Everton yeah. strikers. and um, f- For many people, James Vaughan had, had it all, really, um, and yet just didn't ever become what we hoped. No, you, you, you're exactly right, and I remember I, I remember the, vividly the fanfare that surrounded James Vaughan when he, when he burst onto the scene at Everton. There were the kind of murmurings for a while, as you get with the best academy prospect. That we've got a good one coming through now that this guy's going to save us an awful lot of money at a time when we don't have much money. And he obviously scores in that game against Crystal Palace, a real poacher's finish. But that day he was lively, he was energetic, and he, he more or less adapted seamlessly to the initial step up to premiership football, as I think it would have been then. Um, so... It was a real shame not to see him kick on. I, I don't actually believe it was for a lack of talent. I think what derailed James Vaughan more than anything else was, first of all, the fearlessness he had, which at times boiled over into kind of rashness in terms of kind of he'd charge around the pitch, he'd jump into tackles. There was there was that famous game against, I think it was Bolton away, where he sustained a really bad injury. It, might it have was been, Bolton. Correct me if I'm wrong, was it something like a severed artery? It was, um, yeah, in, um, in, his, in his foot. It was um, seven, his, so, 
It's grim. Severed artery in his foot, and that was because he kind of jumped into a tackle. He was really unfortunate, um, obviously, to get that injury. But <laughs> you, you think about the amount of development he missed. He was always picking up injuries. And for a young player, he just missed so much football when you need to kind of get games on the pitch to progress, learn your craft and stuff like that. I actually think that James Vaughan had everything it took to get to the top and to be a Premier League player week in, week out. Maybe maybe you don't agree. Maybe some of our listeners don't agree. This is just my opinion. I think he, he had just about everything. He had a goal scorer's instinct. He um, he was brave when he needed to be. He was decent in the air and a good finisher as well off both feet. We saw him score goals off, off both feet. The fact that he didn't make it at Everton or he didn't go on to have as successful a career as we've maybe thought is because of the injuries and the the, the recklessness occasionally. Um, but he is like like you say. I, I almost I still grieve that to this day because I thought he was I, he was one that I definitely tipped um, to, to to make it to the top with the Blues. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, and I, I remember that that game when he, he injured his foot, and it was very very grim. I remember talking afterwards about him taking off his boot and it just being absolutely full. If you'll forgive me, I hope you're not having your tea full of blood. Uh, it was a really severe injury and it set him back significantly. And you know he kind of went on to play for some decent clubs, obviously you know on loan quite a bit to like Sir Leicester and Palace while he was at Everton. He's played for an awful lot of clubs, actually Norwich, uh, Birmingham, Sunderland, Wigan, and now back on Merseyside at Tranmere over on the Wirral. So um, he's still playing. I've I've sort of known Vaughan for a while really since uh, probably since I, I started covering Everton and he's a good lad you know it, it's a shame it didn't work for him obviously big big mates of Victoria Chaby as they were coming through um, possibly another striker with unfulfilled potential really I think James was, was more of the goal scorer the natural goal scorer and Victor probably more of the all round athlete and it's, it's a shame that at least one of them didn't become the consistent number nine or goal scorer that we hoped yeah. Jack Rodwell Another one who came through a similar sort of time, played a lot more games than the likes of, of James Vaughan, you know, kind of 109 Premier League games for Everton overall. Um, so 2009, 10 era, he was in a good Everton team. He played 26 games in the league, you know, sort of 36 games in total that season. That was probably what it was, his best campaign in Royal Blue. David Moyes trusted him. He was playing regularly. Uh, obviously got into the England setup. I remember he was... It, it's a bit reductive to just say he was too nice. I don't think that that was necessarily the case. Um, you know, I remember, for example, when he, you know, he, people were saying that, and he got himself sent off in the Merseyside derby for actually being abrasive and smashing into tackles. And as we know, it was it was an un, unjust red card in, in that yeah. particular derby. But um, I just, again, it's hard to pin down why he didn't quite make the step up, but he didn't. What, what's your recollections of Jack? <laughs> You know, when you're talking about him being too nice, that I don't know if you remember this expression, but obviously one for a Merseyside audience in particular, and I will explain it in a bit. Do you remember the too much Birkdale, not enough Kirkdale stuff? <laughs> I do, yeah. I do. <laughs> Which I, I don't think is entirely fair, actually. I, I didn't necessarily subscribe to it, but for anybody that doesn't know, Jack Rodwell was from Birkdale, which is kind of a, a leafy suburb of Southport, on the on the on the coast near to Liverpool, kind of quite affluent, leafy, blah de blah de blah, and the well, whole idea the Royal was Open for golf fans. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, the Sefton Coast, obviously, some some great golf courses up there. Royal Birkdale, quite a lot of people will know as well. Now, the, the expression was I like, basically didn't have enough fire in his belly. He didn't have enough Liverpool in him 
to to go on to be kind of that abrasive figures that as, as you've you've described there I, I i don't agree with it and i i think actually again he was another one that was plagued by injuries different types of injuries to Vaughan, maybe more muscle based injuries he, a lot of times he'd, he'd do a hamstring injury or it'd be something along those lines you're right, though, that for a while it looked like he was going to go right to the top, another one that was going to go right to the top. And I talk about a buzz over Jane Fawn. I'd say there was arguably more buzz about Jack Rodwell from the age of about 14, 15. People saying, not only have we got a potential England player here, but we've got a potential England captain in the making. This is a guy that he's, he's, he's already kind of statuesque. He already strides out from the back um, with the ball. And I think in the early days... Correct me if I'm wrong, Greg. I think he was a centre-back, wasn't he? He he came through the academy as a centre-back. And it was only when David Moyes got his hands on him that he said, this is a lad that actually would be really good in front of the back four, or even as a box-to-box midfielder at times. There are some really memorable games for for Jack Rodwell, and definitely another case of unfulfilled potential. I think he's in the right circumstances and with, with the right mentality and a bit of luck. He could have gone even further than he did in the game. And let's not forget, he played for Manchester City and he played for England. Um, two of my favourite Jack Rodwell moments. The goal against Manchester United. Well, two on one here. Jack Rodwell, is he going to go all the way? He is! What a moment for Jack Rodwell and what a day for Everton. Where Fantastic he strike. storms through the middle. Um like any of the best box-to-box midfielders and smashes one into the far corner of the Gladys Street. The celebration there that day was absolutely iconic. And then the other one um, on the right wing against Manchester City away at the Etihad, where he kind of, I think it was up against Vincent Company, and he absolutely skins Vincent Company down the line, plays the ball into the middle, and Mikel Arteta, Fires home. I think it's it's a two nil victory for Everton, and they're playing in that lovely um, black and pink Lecoq Sportif away kit that they had that year. That showed how good he could have been, and at his best, what he was capable of doing. I don't think he ever nailed down a position. I don't think anybody ever fully decided whether he was a box to box midfielder, whether he was a defensive midfielder, or whether he was a centre back. I wonder if. If he'd been around five or six years later, he might have ended up playing as the third centre-back in a three in defence, given that kind of Antonio Conte and um, some of those managers made the 3-5-2 more popular again. It was more in vogue. Um, But Jack Rodwell's another one for me, Greg. I just think, looking back on him, he, he should have done so much more in his career. And pinpointing why he didn't is is quite difficult because i think again there's a there's a number of things maybe even mentality as well if you look at the um Sunderland till i die documentary which mean that he's not gone on to have the career he should have done yeah you mean you can talk about injuries and things like that but i think most most players have to contend with that you know just a quick one on jack i remember just before he signed for for city in in the summer in 2012 we've been away with everton uh did it playing a pre-season friendly i think it was uh abroad and flying back for some reason i think it might it was spain possibly malaga but i could be wrong flying back and uh he was was on the plane in the airport so he was in the airport and quite you know sort of chatty and not really so nothing seemed amiss then on the plane he gets on just before he, he boarded us so I'm taking a call and he looked a little bit sheepish and you know 
sat down next to his teammates and not much was said and we took off and then you know, we land back in Liverpool Airport which was a chartered plane by the club land back a couple of hours later and as everyone switches the phones back on um, notifications began to drop and uh, I think they were confirming that uh, he'd signed for Man City so I don't <laughs> think many of his teammates knew and he, he sort of almost seemed sheepish the way it emerged yeah. uh, certainly I was looking over my seat thinking <laughs> <laughs> it's now the time to ask him about this uh, 12 million pound move to the Etihad it was a, it was a strange one but um, yeah you know a shame a shame that he didn't uh, fulfil his potential in a blue shirt arguably didn't in the he sky blue either as well then, wasn't he yeah he looked alright he looked alright for England and then you know as you say it's um, sort of people who've maybe seen the Sutherland slide die will remember his attitude and that but I don't think that tells the full story of, of Jack Rodwell as a player. You know, he's a nice lad and I think um I, I'd I'd like to hope that at the still, you know, relatively young age of twenty nine, uh, he's got a couple of years left in the game in him at a decent level because he's a good player maybe the next group it just shows you how good the academy, you know, has been. So yeah, maybe for the sake of like I said earlier, you know, the amount of sheer volume of names that we've been suggested, uh, let's let's group the next couple into like a academy special because it does it does drive home just how, uh, how how strong Everton's academy has traditionally been. We've mentioned, uh, obviously, Rodwell and Vaughan, who came off the conveyor belt, mentioned Victor Anachebe a little bit, Pad, but, um, you know, someone had said, you know, Danny Cadamartery, um, Jose Baxter, and JP Kissick as well, you know, three players who were very well thought of. And again, you know, you talk about those, the jungle drums of, like, the next big one coming through. It would be fair to say they all had that tag to different degrees, didn't they? Yeah, and it's funny somebody's mentioned JP Kissock because he was he was another one of those names. He was a he was a big name on the Liverpool scene for a good while, wasn't he? Um, there, there was a certainly a buzz about him when he was coming through um, as this kind of diminutive playmaker that could almost play between the lines, almost continental in style, really. And I think he he went on to have a career in Scotland. He might have might have gone to sides like Gretna and then dropped down into the lower leagues in England and was always a really good technical footballer. But I think sometimes we get we get bogged down maybe in terms of a player's development and sometimes you get a player that's the finished article more or less at 17 or 16 and they've got no further room for growth. You get others that develop late and people wait on kind of long actually after you ordinarily would do. So I, I, as an example, I know Everton have waited on Nathan Broadhead in the under-23s for longer than they ordinarily would do with no, with kind of a normal um, player just because they believe he's got loads of potential and he has developed physically later than some others. There's not always a linear process to this and I think maybe Kissock was one of those guys. He, he, was, never, he was never kind of big in stature. He was always small, um, a, a small kind of diminutive playmaker. But I, I just wonder if, like, sometimes these guys hit the buffers quite early and they almost peak really, really early. Um, and he was one that, again, we expected to come through. We thought he'd be an Everton player. It doesn't mean because he didn't, he was a failure. He just didn't work at Everton. Um, but it's, it's a shame, really. It's a shame it didn't work out for him. It's always, it's always good to see those local lads um, come through and shine. Cadamartri is a great one as well. Um <laughs> particularly remembering and looking back at that goal against Liverpool, that, that very famous goal against Liverpool at Goodison Park. He seemed to have everything going for him um, in terms of kind of his, his, his pace 
uh, his ability to finish predominantly on his right foot, but also I remember some goals on his left foot as well. Um, and he was kind of a whirlwind when he came in, wasn't he? He, he just he grabbed the bull by the horns. He was he was fearless in the way he went about things. So a little bit like, say, a Francis Jeffers, a James Vaughan, a Victor Anichibi. It feels like we've had loads of those strikers that have gone got on to a, a decent level, but maybe haven't kicked on. With the exception of, say, a Wayne Rooney, we've not had a striker that's really kicked on and gone to the top of the game to, to, to kind of really stamp his mark for, for quite a while now. All of those guys, for my money at least, are in the same bracket. Kadamatri almost like a James Vaughan. You know, he's got his own coaching academy, helps young players, particularly young strikers, I believe. Um, it was it was a really good prospect, really, really good prospect, but, but far from the only one, as we've said. There were just reams and reams and reams of them. And if you, you want to include, say, a Franny Jeffers too. Yeah, I mean, so, so many. Throwing it back a little bit further to a player who, well, I didn't see playing that, so I think almost certainly you didn't see play given our age gap, uh, but he, he's a consistent uh, mention in, in the uh, from the Twitter sphere and a player you hear so much about uh, as an Evertonian and someone you know covering football on their side, and it's Billy Kenny. You know, as, a, as a midfield player that came up through the academy, I believe he was absolutely fantastic, you know, sort of elegant passer of the ball, definitely more Kirkdale than Birkdale. Had it all, really, <laughs> and and, uh, and sadly, for a few different reasons, um, it managed to go through his grasp um, and never fulfilled his potential. But I often think there's a lot of poignancy with Kenny for his you know, issues off the pitch that kind of contributed to him not making it. Um, but it really is one of those names that is in the background whenever you talk about unfulfilled potential, isn't it? Yeah, and, and certainly you know, it, this was one that my dad had mentioned to me. Um, he, he cited a game against Liverpool, a really good Liverpool side apparently, and Billy Kenny playing in the centre of midfield effectively just ran the show um, and looked like he was going to go on to be an England player, um, somebody that Everton could rely on over a period of time. Quite often when people mention Billy Kenny to me, the name they reference to help me understand the context of this was Jose Baxter. And I think in some ways that there are parallels between their descents, the, the, the kind of the ascent and then the descent and, and, and the reasons why. I think he had a, a, a very troubled personal life, Billy Kenny, and that was one of the reasons why he didn't go on to um, to, to make the grade and fulfil his obvious potential. But, I mean, just looking through your tweets here, so many people are saying Billy Kenny, that, I mean, the, a guy that I think he's almost in Goodison folklore now as, as somebody that should have been um, a key player for the club over a, a long period of time, a local kind of homegrown gem. And it's always it's almost that bit worse when you see those guys just not quite make it or kind of see their their careers plummet for whatever reason, because we we rely on them so much and they're so they're often a symbol of hope in some tough times, um, either for the city or for for the football club. Um, I I don't remember. I have to be honest. I don't, I don't remember seeing them play. I'd have been very very young at this point, but I have been regaled by stories of him. Um, the stuff off the pitch and the stuff on it as well and how good a footballer he actually was. Yeah, absolutely. Well, throwing it forward to a young player who I guess more more recent Evertonians will will undoubtedly remember is a lad who joined Everton for uh, 8 million quid, rising to 11 with add-ons from Charlton. And it's a young footballer called Adam Ola Luckman. 
Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you've got the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash tidings and pay the postage of £4.95. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener of this show, you'll get two extra free beers. That's 10 free beers. Beer 52 or Beer Pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest craft breweries planet Earth has to offer. No surprise then, they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power's in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment, and a beery snack is thrown in, just to top it all off. So just go to www.beer52.com forward slash tidings to get your case free. And don't forget, right now, listeners to Glad Tidings get two extra free beers. Timo Werner is on to it. It's still Timo Werner. And he's found Luckman! A second goal for Adimola Luckman, a third for Leipzig, who may yet have a happy ending to their season. And that's an ice cool finish from Adimola Luckman. Superb. Of course, now of Red Bull Leipzig. But, you know, when you think of the, 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 the emergence on the scene he made, scoring in that famous 4 0 win over Man City, um, really looking the part as like a twinkle-toed winger who seemed to be able to go off both sides, could really twist full-backs up. And England 21 international, um, really highly rated. Um, and then, you know, sort of probably stalled his progress, didn't seem to be happy at Everton with the amount of games he got. Went on loan to Leipzig where he did really well. And then came back and, and by all accounts, just never really wanted to be back at Goodison. He'd felt settled at, uh, over in, um, in Leipzig and, and that was all that he, he wanted to do from then on. I believe suggestions at the time, he'd met a girl over there and he was really settled. His heart wasn't it. Didn't play much under Sam Allardyce. And, you know, in the end, he got his way and joined Red Bull. Now, I don't think he's come on to fulfil his potential there quite yet either. But such an exciting player when he first came onto the scene. He was, wasn't he? I mean, I remember his debut and I think he he came on against Manchester City in the 4-0 where Tom Davis scored that wonderful solo goal. And it was one of those days where it felt like nothing could get any better. Morgan Schneidlin had, had, had come onto the pitch at a time of real optimism for Everton. Romelu Lukaku was scoring goals. Schneidlin had signed and he kind of slotted into the midfield at a time when we also had James McCarthy playing well and, and Gareth Barry. Luckman had also joined in that window and comes off the bench and obviously pounces on a on, on a mistake from City to score what was, I believe, the fourth goal, although hopefully my memory serves me correctly on that. And he just looked to have that bit of kind of stardust about him to make the difference in the final third. He could when he when he was running with the ball, he'd almost ghost past individuals and he he made things happen. Even when he wasn't completely consistent, he, he had the threat about him and the creativity to, well, like I say, appeared like it was going to 
mean that he could make the difference in in particular games. Looking back on it now, that was that was the high the high point. <laughs> that first game for Everton was the high point of his whole Everton career. I don't think he ever reached that level again. Um, and admittedly, it was only a one-off moment, and there were other times when he he looked really really good. But with successive Everton managers, he he kind of failed to convince them in training and in games that he was worthy of a regular spot in the in the starting lineup. I think he blew hot and cold in games. I think in training sometimes there there was a little bit of an issue with kind of showing up and giving full application, uh, for want of a better phrase, and. Obviously, the Leipzig move becomes really divisive for a number of ways because, first of all, Sam Allardyce wants him to go to Derby County. Him and his agent decide, no, we're not going to go to Derby. We want to go to Leipzig. Leipzig are interested. I can kind of understand that because because Leipzig are obviously a really big club and they were going in the right direction under um, Hassan Hutel at the time. But like he did at Everton, I think in his first game for Leipzig, he he scores um, a really good goal and becomes a, f- a firm favourite for Hassan Hutel in a really good Leipzig side. And I- I'm not surprised that he wanted to stay after that because Everton had Allardyce. He wasn't getting game time at Everton for whatever reason, and Leipzig really liked him. Obviously, Everton held out and they didn't want to sell him. Um, when Silva came in, it was quite clear that he wanted to give everybody a shot. And Luckman was one of the players he he wanted to keep. So Everton fought off interest from Leipzig, who did want to keep him. And then from that point, Luckman didn't really seem fully invested. Silva didn't seem fully convinced as a result. And it got to the stage where a parting of the ways was almost inevitable. What what we've seen since is actually really quite interesting because he's, he's kind of plateaued a little bit. There's still obvious potential. But he doesn't always even get off the bench for for Leipzig. But it's it. I think the reason is he's playing in a different system under a different coach. No longer is it Hassan Hutel, who's obviously at Southampton. Now they've got Nagelsmann, Julian Nagelsmann, who's an innovator. But he he's got certain demands, and he's he's very very focused tactically. He's detailed and he's meticulous in the work that he does there. Luckman hasn't been able to break in, admittedly to a very, very good Leipzig side, it, it must be said. And I just, uh, my my question mark with him, and I don't know if you agree with this, my, my, my question mark with him is, will he ever fulfil that potential at all? Or is this just going to be him? He's going to be fantastic one week. He's going to be absolutely brilliant one week, but he, then he just won't show the next in terms of his performance level. And that that's my that's my fear with Adam Ola Luckman. That has got to be the fear from what we've seen in the pattern reflected in his career to date. But he's only 22. Um, you know, he's, he's had he's made the brave move to, to such a young age to go to another league, another country. Um, a similar way to well, the move wasn't similar, obviously, but he's made a similar move to John Joe Kenny. And you know, you speak about players that age of having it all ahead of them, really. So I'd like to hope that he'll be able to find some consistency somewhere um, because I. I certainly think he goes in unfilled Goodison potential. I would have liked him to yeah. have been able to take it by the scruff of the neck more often. Uh, he did get chances under Silva, whatever, you know. I think it's unfair to say Silva didn't try to let him make an impact, but it just didn't happen. Um, yeah, I mean, so it's, it's, he, he actually, just sorry, mate, just jumping in here, he actually gave me one of my most embarrassing moments as an Everton fan in so far as um, <laughs> it was an away game against Middlesbrough and. Um, 
the away end at Middlesbrough um, kind of faces the side of one of the goals, and he he, he kind of cut in and he shot at um, he shot a goal and he hit the side netting, and everybody else around me seemed to realise this had definitely hit the side netting. <laughs> but I was the only one in a way end of probably about 2,000 people that stood up and started cheering. Um, <laughs> so, so loads of people um, close to me were kind of laughing at me and taking the piss, saying, oh, what, what's going on here? Why, why, why did you even think that was a goal? Well, moving on to what I'm going to call the Dutch contingent. Um, everyone who listens to last week's pod with Leon Osman will know that uh, Leon had some really interesting things to say about Royston Drenthe. So we'll not we'll not dwell too long on Royston. Suffice to say that he was you know really talented player who just did not ingratiate himself with David Moyes whatsoever. But you know I, I recommend you check that one out last the last episode with Leon if you haven't already. Um, but Andy van der Meide, another um, footballer from the Netherlands who Everton signed. You know, this time, instead of someone being maybe on the downward curve after playing for a big... Well, again, he was at a big club. He'd been at Inter Milan, but Everton signed him when, you know, arguably he was just coming up to his peak. A footballer who I was very excited when David Moyes did the deal for. And for various reasons that he's been very open in discussing some of his own (laughs) faults, others not so much, it didn't work. I don't know what it is with this. I'm sure the majority of Dutch footballers are absolutely model professionals, but the ones Everton have managed to sign <laughs> have uh, have not quite been in that mould, have they? No, no. I mean, maybe maybe we should give an honorary mention to Davy Klassen, who I think had his faults, and I think the recruitment faults, he might not have been ideally suited to the Premier League, and certainly not Everton in the Premier League at that moment in time. But I do believe he was a model professional um, and would kind of train well and stuff. Some some of the others, though, like you say, kind of leave a lot to be desired. Um, and Andy van der Meijer would be pretty much at the top of that list. Um, I think he he enjoyed everything that Liverpool had to offer, if, <laughs> if we want to use a euphemism. He enjoyed spending as much time as possible out celebrating life. In uh, <laughs> in Liverpool and the surrounding areas, he had, he had a house over in the Wirral, um, and um, would often be seen in in the um, in the pubs over there, and would often be seen out and about. Um, and obviously, like you say, a, a very outspoken person. You can listen to him talk until the cows come home about just how much he disliked David Moyes, who um, <laughs> he he, belie- he believed was a kind of authoritarian figure that was cramping down on his liberty. Um, I mean. Uh, I think there are two sides to the story there, and maybe there's probably elements of truth in both of them. Um, but uh, certainly, he was a player that came and um, a player that I was excited. Given his spells at Ajax and Inter Milan, I was really excited. I remember a goal he'd, he, he'd scored for Inter at Highbury against Arsenal, uh, a volley, and um, I'd seen similar clips of him doing things like that and I'd heard the buzz out of Holland about him and I was expecting Everton needed a winger at that point Everton needed somebody to kind of go on the outside whip crosses in um, and and service the attacking midfielders and the strikers they had on, on the book so you, you, you'd have thought Van der Meijer would have been a really decent um, prospect but he got a from what I remember he got a bad injury didn't he really really early on into his time um, at Everton and that did not help but the extra the extracurricular side, um, in quotation marks, 
might have also counted against them as well. Um, and I mean, not only did he not fulfil his potential, but he, he plummeted at Everton completely. Um, and I think that was the point at which his career really, really started to go downhill. Um, he doesn't speak highly of Everton at all, does he? Um, and that time in his life, you know, when you go on like websites like News Now, you know, like those aggregators on on the internet and slightly sensationalist in some of the stories, you always see—I don't know if it's just me—but you always see a, an Andy Van der Meder says player X should not do, join Everton headline, and he's like he's always like the opposite of <laughs> just about every former Everton player who kind of phones up people. I mean, I. I know Joseph Yobo phoned up Nigerian players to, to, to tell them how great the club is and, oh, yeah, it would be a great place to join. And if Andy Maida is the opposite, he's like kind of warning any Dutchman that he can tell uh, to, to, to get out of Everton and to, and, or to, to not even bother going in the first place, um, particularly after the Davy Klassen debacle. So um, it, was, it was a shame, but he never really made any kind of bond with the fans, even to the extent that some of the other guys we've spoken about did. I mean, like, James Vaughan, everybody wanted to succeed. Um, Victor Anichibi, for a while, everybody wanted to succeed. Kadamatri, Kisok, all those kind of guys. I think the the fans were with them to an extent. But I never really felt, as a supporter at the time, that I got to know Andy van der Meer. I never really felt as though, I mean, yeah, we could have done with his footballing ability, but he didn't ever develop a bond with the fans, or that was the way it seemed. I think we got to know him back through his book, uh, and his recollections, you know, sort of like his first night on Merseyside ended up in on the ale in, in Liverpool City Centre, winds up in a lap dancing club, falling in love with a lap dancer, and then, yeah, definitely one to file under unfulfilled potential. Well, I'll just, Derek Bradshaw has prompted me to throw one right back, but I think that's all I can do, just mention it for maybe some of our um, veteran listeners, because I don't think me and you can fill much in here, but he says you can add Rod Belfit and Bernie Wright to the list. So I'm familiar <laughs> oh, with the names. I've heard a lot about this. <laughs> familiar with I've the names, but that's about, these, about yeah. it. <laughs> that's about it, I'm afraid. You know when, you, you know when as, as sometimes happens, you, you're with a group of Evertonians and they list all the bad strikers that have been at Everton. Names like Bernie Wright and Brett Angel <laughs> I think Rob. Be- I, I hope. Hopefully, I'm not getting this wrong. But I think Rob Belfit was also a striker. Uh, <laughs> those names always come up against Evertonians of among, I should say, Evertonians of a certain vintage. Um, these kind of footballers that just didn't seem to have anything about them. Um, and it, it, it's funny because I was talking to somebody earlier about James Beattie, and. Um, People were saying, oh, he's an unfulfilled talent or he was um, he should have made much more of his time at Everton. I actually think that if James, if, if expected goals had been around while James Beattie was playing, that those years at Southampton would have been more or less completely debunked. Because I think in, in one season he scored 16 goals and another he scored 23. And that's what got him into the England setup, And that's what secured the, the big money at the time, moved to Everton. But from what I remember, all the goals from Beattie that those two years were kind of thirty-yard, kind of wonder strikes. These really spectacular goals from all angles, and basically just about everything went in, even though you wouldn't have expected it to um, in in any normal season. I don't, I don't actually believe it. I mean, he was it was a relatively decent finisher. He could strike the ball well, but kind of pulling apart bits of his game. The argument I made when when I had this conversation earlier was that he actually wasn't particularly great at anything. He wasn't particularly quick. He wasn't strong. Um, 
he couldn't really run the channels. Um, and I remember some ridiculous moments. Well, do you remember him headbutting? Um, I think it was William Gallas uh, getting sent off. Um, I do. Against against Chelsea, Gallas was running for the ball down the 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 main stand touchline, closest to the Gladys Street, and Beatty was behind him. And for whatever reason, Beatty headbutted the back of Gallas's head. That's right. Um, yeah. And sent him sprawling to the turf. It was, I mean, it was it was quite clearly a red card, um, <laughs> and just a really bizarre moment. I, I I can't remember the rest of the game, so I don't know the context. But I, I, I'm going to have to assume that um, <laughs> Galas must have done something in the, the minutes before to, to wind them up. That's one of the strangest sending-offs I've ever seen at, at Goodison Park. Um, and that says something, really, <laughs> given what Everton have been like over the years. Yeah, he wasn't even a dirty player, but I remember that vividly. I remember the, the anger and, and aggression on his face as he as he did that bizarre, bizarre headbutt. Yeah. Um, another name to throw into the mix, but just for... For the record, really, again, I don't think we'll be able to add much on this, but a friend of mine, Huey Jennings, always tells me about this lad. He should have been the next Peter Reid, and I think one day I'll try and uh, track him down, because uh, I believe he's still around in Liverpool. And it's a lad called uh, James Coyle, Buddy Coyle, his nickname was, uh, and I believe he was, again, a bit like Billy Kenny, an absolutely fantastic homegrown midfielder who just didn't, never really made made the leap. Well, one of a, of a, uh, a newer vintage is Michael Branch, you know, they always seem to be strikers, don't they? Or often seem to be midfielders <laughs> or strikers. Um, do you remember Michael Branch much about him? You see, it's quite a slight goal scorer, but um, certainly knew where the back of the net is and did have his chances. Again, though, Nips never really managed to get consistent game time. No, no, I, I, I do. I mean, that was right, and I, I mean right at the start of my time supporting Everton. Yeah, kind of, it would have been. It's, it's 96, yeah, yeah. 97 kind of period. I'd have only been four or five. Um, and I remember him playing, like, this is quite a vivid memory, I remember him playing in the, the cup final winning kit um, with the, um, with That's right, the yeah. blue top and the, um, the darker socks. The Danker kit, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, the Danker kit, and he was like, like you say, he kind of buzzed around and he, he moved well off the ball and, and with the ball. Um, a very lively player, similar, you would say, stylistically to say, like a Franny Jeffers, that kind of striker, um, playing on the shoulder of the defender, looking to make runs in behind. He just, I'd have to look at his goal record again, but my recollection was that he wasn't particularly clinical. He didn't score many goals. And that again, he was another one where his, his time at Everton kind of petered out. I mean, we've how many strikers have we listed here already? Um, we, we've had we've had Jeffers, we've had Kadamatri, we've had many other strikers that have come through the academy, Vaughan and Ichibi. Michael Branch, I don't remember quite as fondly as some of those other guys. I think Franny Jeffers had a real chance of... of I mean, he played for Arsenal and England anyway. Franny Jeffers had a real chance of being a, a striker that scored goals regularly in the Premier League over a long period of time. This is the same potentially with James Vaughan. Victor Nietzsche went on to have a relatively good career. That was the zenith of Michael Branch's career, wasn't it? The Everton spell. And from there, it was very much a case of, of everything pointing downwards. Um, but he did. He did have talent, and he, again, another, another local lad that, to a, to an extent, still forged a relatively decent career. He did, yeah. No, he did, and of course, kind of a game one sort of play by off the pitch difficulties. It's sort of really quite a solitary tale of you know. He speaks quite openly about it in interviews. So if you if you Google him, he actually ends up getting sentenced to seven years behind bars for uh, drugs offences. 
I think it was uh, police had raided his house and found Class A and Class B B drugs. So he uh, he went to prison and served. I don't imagine he would have served about half of that, about three and a half years. Um, but you know, just quite a quite a like, dramatically you know stark fall from grace in that respect. I think he's an accountant now. I think he's turned his life around, got out of prison, and retrained to become an accountant. So probably a story worth checking out. One we'll maybe jump back to on the athletic in future but yeah again another striker who uh, who seems to have a lot of ability um a quick one before we sort of begin to wrap it up but someone who a couple of people have mentioned uh, who i've got a soft spot for and it's uh, definitely not a local lad it's dinyar bililetinov uh, usual <laughs> spelling um, strange character a bit of a strange player but definitely a gifted player um I, I, I mean, people might remember his goal against Wolves for Everton uh, in the last game of the season. An absolutely fantastic strike. Um, loads of ability, but yet again, somehow failed to show it consistently in the Premier League. Yeah, we, we called him Billy on the Gladys Street, didn't we, Pad? What was your, um, what was your memories of, of Dinyar Billy Lettinum? We, I think we called him Billy, first of all, because most of us either didn't want to try and pronounce his name or couldn't, and then secondly, wouldn't have known how to, to spell it, so it must have been, I'm, yeah, I'm quite possibly, thankful yeah. I wasn't a journalist at that moment in time, because that would have been an absolute nightmare. It's, it's in there in the in, in the uh, Dennis Strachwellersi School of Spelling, isn't it? That The names yeah. as a journalist you don't want to have to, don't want to, have to deal with. Um, not on deadline, no. <laughs> no. Absolutely not on deadline late, late in the night. Um, it, it's interesting the way we assess these players, because he was a Russian international, and again went back to Russia and had a decent career in the game. So he's obviously been a, a success to an extent and is obviously a good footballer. You could tell he was a good footballer at Everton. He just didn't, he never really seemed the right fit for either Everton or for the Premier League. One paced in terms of um, the way he moved about the pitch. Um, and ridiculously, I, I, am, I remember a game against AK Athens where he was on, it, was, it must have been his first game for Everton and he was on all set pieces and had a brilliant left foot in fairness to him and he just kept on putting the ball on people's heads so yeah, he, had scored a goal. Yeah, yeah. he had a fantastic left foot and uh, Everton scored a number of goals from, from that route and I, re- <laughs> I remember I've, I've, I really apologise to my dad if he ends up listening to this but I remember him saying to me he's got a left foot like Sheedy this fella and oh <laughs> just, you killed him there he had a fantastic left foot maybe if, if, we, if we're diagnosing what went wrong here, maybe just a player that wasn't cut out for the Premier League and was a little bit one-paced he was definitely one-paced but I, you know I agree with you and your dad fantastic left foot maybe not quite in the <laughs> in the Sheedy mould <laughs> I don't know about you, but my, my initial suggestion when we were discussing this as a potential theme for the podcast was Kevin Morales. Can, can we call him an unfulfilled talent at Goodison? It's, a diff- it's an interesting one, isn't it? I know what some mates would say about Kevin Morales. It certainly wouldn't be suitable for a family podcast and talking about Tony. Uh, really talented. Almost prodigiously talented in some aspects. You look at some of the early goals he scored for, for da- those David Moyes sides and Two stick in my mind is the the home goal against Stoke City, where he picks up the ball in his own half and puts the ball in at the park end. And there's also the away goal, which I actually believe is even better, by the way, where he slaloms from the right wing past a couple of defenders and then puts one into the corner against a a, a top-class Spurs side. Um, That was an example of Morales at his best. He, He was a really good dribbler. 
He had an eye for goal, um, te- could terrorise defenders and turn them inside out with his movement, and he could play along the forward line. Now, <laughs> unfulfilled might be slightly harsh if you look at his career as a whole. He's played for some decent clubs in decent leagues. He did well at Everton and scored goals, and he's obviously played for Belgium and done really well in a World Cup. But I, I would argue that Kevin Morales actually should have gone on to be one of the Premier League's best attackers. If you look purely at skill set and ability, there, there was not much in his game that he didn't have um, as far as a modern striker is concerned, that a modern striker needs. Um, and I don't think he ever did get to the point at which he was one of the best in the league. He, I don't think he ever reached that level for Everton. Um, and obviously at times he kind of faded in and out. Um, he stayed a little bit past his welcome, at least as far as most fans are concerned. And like you've said there yourself, um, some of your friends would have some quite choice things to say about um, Kevin Morales. So from from the ability he's got to the point at which he left and what he actually did in his time at Everton, I, I think I would argue that he, he's one of the best examples in my mind of an unf- unfulfilled talent, that he didn't go on to do as well as he should have done. He should have been a top, top player. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I hesitate to retell this story because <laughs> of how embarrassing it was, but I will anyway. It was, I think it was after the Spurs goal, and um, I got all carried away down the tunnel waiting to interview a player. And Darren Gibson, <laughs> Darren Gibson could be quite kind of um, quite a, a well a deadpan sense of humour anyway, and certainly quite a straight talker. And um, I was trying to think what to ask him and. You know, obviously, I was getting all excited about how good Morales was, and I said to him, "You, you played with some really top players at United, you know, including Cristiano Ronaldo. Does does what Kevin's doing don't remind you of him?" And he just he just sort of stopped, looked at me, and then just started laughing, <laughs> <laughs> and just kept laughing for a good couple of minutes, and then just said, "No, no, no, he doesn't." And so that was uh, moving moving swiftly on. Morales, really exciting player. Had the ability to get bums off seats, like you say, you know, could play anywhere across the forward line. Um, in many ways, fulfilled his potential for a couple of seasons, but then it ended quite badly for Morales at Everton, which is such a shame. You know, he was viewed as somebody who was loitering on the sidelines, maybe not being the most enthusiastic trainer. There was obviously the um, suggestions that he and Morgan Schneiderlin had um, been quite a, a divisive issue in, in training under. Um, was it under David Unsworth? I think it was Unsworth and Ferguson were, um, yeah. were working together at that moment in time. And I think the the, the incident actually was more with Ferguson, I think. Um, and the club actually, to be fair, the club denied the version of events that was pushed forward in sections of the media. Unsworth certainly does. Schneidlin kind of was vehemently... Um, against the the portrayal, as, as I suppose, if if we're playing devil's advocate, as I suppose you would be, you wouldn't want to see that. But it it seems like there's an element of truth in that. It was that it was overblown. Um, even if they did leave the the training ground, I think that those two players from that point on, they were almost saddled with that reputation, weren't they? Um, and the fan base slightly turned on them, um, for better or for worse, in some cases, and, and for right or for wrong, I should say, um. They both they both had potential. Um, Morales fulfilled it on some occasions, and when he did, it was absolutely breathtaking. I mean, that, I, I don't know why, but that that Tottenham goal is one of my favourite Everton goals. Um, you know, sometimes you end up with these these goals in your head that maybe nobody else would point to initially, but that for me is is right up there because he was just 
it it, it was the one of the best. We we've not really certainly I've not been um, treated to top class Everton wingers over the years. Um, that kind of winger we've had Stephen Pienaar, who was a different kind of player entirely, and Kanchelskis. I remember only in fits and fits and starts. Morales on his day was 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 the was the best I'd seen in those kinds of scenarios as a winger. Um, in an Everton shirt, certainly. Um, and there was something thrilling about watching him taking the game to a side like Tottenham with so many top players in their ranks defensively. Um, so um, it's a shame. It's a shame that the way it turned out. I actually think in some ways, while some of the criticism about his character might be justified, I mean, I went to speak to him in Antwerp earlier this year for a piece on the athletic side. So do check that out. He was typically forthright and outspoken. But he's... He's a different kind of personality when you meet him, and you'll have you'll have encountered this as well, Greg. When you meet him, you expect this kind of brash personality, this big, boisterous type, somebody that's that's almost wanting to thrust his opinions in your face. And actually, it, it takes him a while to kind of get going. He's softly spoken, um, almost whispers, doesn't he, when he speaks? As I think I might have mentioned in the piece, actually, and he's very respectful. He's very, very respectful. He was late for my for my interview, and he'd he'd apologised, but said he couldn't he couldn't wait to speak about his time at Everton. He he still held the club in, in fond regard, and and all that kind of stuff. So it kind of there was another side to him that I don't think supporters saw as much of. Um, and yes, of course, maybe didn't fully fulfil his potential. And yes, there were incidents on the training ground, the Leighton Baines incident as well, uh, with the penalty against West Brom, where he took the ball off Leighton and missed the penalty. All those things counted against him, and I've, I think I've, I've significantly soured. If I'm being fair, I've significantly soured his, his reputation um, among the Everton fan base. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was just going to mention that, that penalty incident. One of the most bizarre things I've ever seen, really, when you know, he struck the outside of the post and then got substituted shortly afterwards. Although Martinez always insisted it was an injury rather than the fact that he'd taken the ball off the penalty taker. But <laughs> strange one. Honourable mentions in passing before we wrap up. Brendan Galloway, Aidan McGeezy and Manny Fernandez. There's a player. Talk about goals against Man United. Gerard Dale of Dale Feu, of course. Yeah, now obviously looking like he's fulfilling his potential. Certainly uh, the second half of the season in the Premier League over at Watford. Um, really exciting player again. Loads yeah. of pace to burn. Fantastic display at, against Arsenal at the Emirates under Martinez in Martinez's first oh, season. What a goal we got a 2 2 draw. Unbelievable. What a goal. Really, really good player. And just, just so frustrating that he just, I, I think. His stamina and fitness was an issue for me. Stamina. He was yeah, yeah. in the Premier League when when he was at Everton, and maybe he wasn't really fully developed yet. But um, if he had two or three sort of turbocharged bursts down the flank, he'd need he'd need sort of a few minutes where he'd be just recovering and he'd be getting back his stamina and he'd be switched off. And it was just too much of a, of a cross the bear for Everton because with players out the game like that, you can play through them, and he just didn't have that uh, endurance. He seems to be getting it now at Watford. He seems to be able to last 90 minutes and he's got that. Um, and I know a lot, he's, he's got, he's held high in the estimation of a lot of Evertonians, probably helped that he came he from Barcelona and, you know, he can't, you know, a sort of really well thought of, wasn't even at, at Camp Nou, but yeah. He still loves the club one. as well. I think, he does. I, mean, I think this, this is one of the things that endears him to Everton fans. We, we're all sentimental about our football club, aren't we? And we all like to see former players speaking fondly about Everton Football Club as an institution. 
Dale Lefeu certainly does that. And whenever he comes back to Goodison, he always kind of loiters at the end of the game, regardless of the result, regardless of what's happened. And he almost it, it almost becomes all about him. Um, so Everton might have won a game 2-0. And, I don't know, for example, um, any player might have scored a couple of goals. But Gerard Dale Lefeu will be the one right at the end of the game. He'll go over, he'll take his shirt off, his Watford shirt with Dale Lefeu on the back. He'll go over to the Gladys Street and the Glad Street will chant his name and um, he'll clap and applaud and that kind of stuff. It's nice. It's nice in a sense. It's nice to see him speaking fondly about Everton. I think actually if he was given the opportunity, I mean, this is this is not likely to happen in the slightest. Um, but I think if you gave him the opportunity to come back to Everton at some point in his career, he would definitely snap your hands off for it because I think he looks back on it in the main. It was up and down, but in the main, he looks back on it fondly. And he's got such ability. I mean, that goal... He scored for Watford in the FA Cup the other year at Wembley. He scored two really good goals in that day, in that game. But the goal he scored in the semi-final, where he kind of picks the ball up on the left corner of the box and just floats it over the keeper into the far corner. That shows you everything he, he could be about um, at his best. He can he can really, really put, <laughs> put the fear of God up defenders. Um but he's a popular figure. It's nice. It's nice to end on end with popular figures, isn't it? Because we've spoken about Morales and kind of him souring his reputation. De La Feu is somebody I think we all still hope does well, and we we'd like to keep an eye out for. So I'm I'm grateful that we've got a bit of positivity into to, to finish after the cynicism. Yeah, quite well. We hope this this pod hasn't uh, not fulfilled its potential, and you've enjoyed listening to some of the what ifs and, and might have beens and never wears at Goodison. Um, yeah, we'll be back next week. Um, don't forget, you can sign up for the Athletic through uh, the Everton um, Glad Tidings podcast. If you look out for our code, Paddy and I will tweet that later on, and you can get a good forty uh, percent off an Athletic subscription uh, by subscribing through that link. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Mm-hmm.